Westward, the Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Anomaly detected. Been a long time. Too long. Look, I can talk or I can just listen. Whatever you like. You keeping your head above water? Yeah. Running fiber pays the bills. Almost. How was it being back there? Back home? We're here? I don't know. He said the way the army was run, algorithms, that's the way everything was going to be someday. Better living through technology. I'm Lauren Laverne, and this is Westward, the official Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Every week, we're going to be right here to analyse the latest action from season three of the mind-bending, plot-twisting, futuristic sci-fi show Westworld. Telly superfan Jamie East will be hitting speed dial and connecting directly with the creators of Westworld, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, for the inside scoop on season three. And ready to enter analysis mode this week, shaking like a powering down host, welcome <laughs> Sky Cinema's Alex Zane. <laughs> Hello, Lauren. Hi, Alex. So give me your reaction then to episode one in a sentence. All right, you ready? Go this on. is it. This is what I'm going for. It's Blade Runner meets The Matrix meets Grand Theft Auto meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets John Wick meets Star Wars <laughs> meets Watch Dogs meets 2002's horror movie Ghost Ship meets 1980's motorbike TV show Street Hawk. Meets an extra cup full of awesome. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. And I love all of the film references. We've got a lot to unpack oh, this week. Oh, yeah. It's a hell of an episode. Okay, well, let's recap. So it's been three months since Dolores broke out of the park, which she did by literally becoming a host copy of Delos boss Charlotte Hale. She's helped to escape by Westworld security force hunk Ashley Stubbs, who we also discover was a host all along, Alex. Yep. Uh, Dolores is now causing chaos in the real world with ownership of five control units, sometimes called pearls, which contain the consciousness of hosts, one of which is Bernard Lowe, but... Who are the other four and what does she intend to do with them? All right, let's pull back and start right at the beginning of episode one. Season three opens with an incredible scene. Dolores pays a visit to Jerry, a Delos owner who has just found out about the bloodbath at the parks and a naked Dolores is swimming in his pool. Water's so warm. Who the fuck are you? Don't you remember? After everything we've shared, your bachelor party in the park. <clears throat> you can stop pressing the alert button in your pocket, that won't work either. Bit of a tactical mistake, really. You want to be the dominant species, but you built your whole world with things more like me. So we see security on the house reduced to its core functions and then Dolores appears and forces the Google glasses onto Jerry. We are inside the machine. What a scene, Alex. All other season threes of any series ever need to take note. This is how <laughs> you start a season three. It's incredible. First of all, has there ever been a better advert for not having an Amazon Alexa in your home? Because, I mean... It's like, uh, Alexa, play Katy Perry. I can't do that, but I can lock you in your house when an assassin 
is coming to exact their revenge. Yes, as Dolores says, you know, you want to be the dominant yep. species. We just heard her say it, but you, you've built your world out of things that look like me. <laughs> She's in a very interesting mode, a kind of interesting mood in this scene, Alex. What huh? did you make of that? Well, yeah, the scene frames her as uh, an avenging angel because initially you're very much like, right, she's here for revenge. And it's a very satisfying revenge because this guy, Jerry, clearly was um, an awful person to her in the park Mm. and is clearly uh, an awful person full stop. I mean, never has a man at the start of a series had dead meat tattooed (laughs) on his forehead so clearly. He's teed up as a bad guy right from the beginning, even before he does anything. But I think interesting that Dolores says to him, it's so hard to break our behaviour loops. However, she still gives him the chance to make a choice. She doesn't attack him first. That's right. Yeah, she wants revenge and uh, she certainly wants that. But also she wants money, which Mm. is that great line. It's something along the lines of, I haven't been here long in the real world, outside the park, but I know I don't want to be without it. Mm-hmm. So for all this future world and all its tech, it's still a capitalist society. She's going to need money. Yeah, well, as well as Jerry's cash, Dolores also gets him to trade confidential information from a company called Insight for his life. What do we know about Insight at this stage, Alex? They are a tech company, is mm-hmm. what we learned quite early on. But what's great is that we knew Delos as the big bad And now I guess Insight are kind of introduced in this episode as the bigger bad, the people behind Delos. Yeah, the boss's boss. All right. Well, Westworld is brilliant at teasing fans with trailers and content online. And we have found this trailer for Insight. Have a listen. The world is complex, complicated, messy. But life doesn't have to be. is powered by you, and we know you. Insight is different. We're not Silicon Valley vaporware. We have unprecedented computing capabilities, analyzing data for life's most unsolvable problems. We can protect our climate, and we can find you a career you can be excited about. The possibilities are limitless. But with Insight, The only choice you'll have to make is us. Oh, my God, Alex. So with Insight, the only choice you'll have to make is us. I mean, it sounds like he's saying a good thing, but it could also be an incredibly bad thing. Yeah. Does he mean we have loads of choices or not at all? I mean, look, I I think Insight uh, is just... It reeks of a new kind of evil. They are... (laughs) The worst of the worst. But what a name, Insight. Yes. I mean, if you had spent less money on your fancy advert and more on market research and focus groups, you'd have very quickly learned that that is not a name that instills warmth in your customer base. Well, talking about behaviour loops is very interesting, isn't it? Because obviously they're a data company. So at first listen, you think of the word insight as in an understanding of the true nature of something, which kind of gels with the idea of data. But actually the way it's spelled, insight, means to incite a yep. certain situation, a type of behaviour. So it's kind of chicken egg, isn't it? Are, uh, they, are they reading and predicting or are they controlling, Alex? Yeah, well, as we all know, Any firm that collects data, we've learned this today in the real world now, they're great people who only want the best for us. No one does anything bad with our data. Look, I think Insight are if the worst parts of Google and the worst parts of Facebook got together and create their own new company, then that would be 
in sight. However, they come up with a better name like Goo Book, which is far less evil and makes you think of goo, which is always warm. I would quite like a goo book. Um, All right. The graphic that we see at the start of the episode and recurring throughout says anomaly detected and elevated scrutiny. You must have noticed that, Alex. Mm. So what's the anomaly? What do you think? Well, I think my initial reaction was it's Dolores. And this is very much the Matrix reference that I came up with uh, at the start when I was watching this. Okay, She is like the equivalent of Neo when the Matrix tracks Neo in the Matrix, except this is reversed because Neo is a human in a computer world, ah, right, whereas okay. Dolores is a computer living in a currently human-controlled Good world. Good spot, film nerd. Yeah, I am. And I am, and I wear it on my sleeve, <laughs> strap in. So I thought it was just Dolores who was the anomaly, but then that doesn't make sense because a similar screen, i.e. the system, the AI, appears just before we see Caleb waking up right. in Los Angeles, and it also says anomaly detected. So perhaps it is encountering in its monitoring of the world people who aren't playing the game following the strategies Ah. that this ai has set up and anyone who falls outside its remit of control it goes don't like that you're an anomaly gonna sort you out very very interesting and i think we'll dig into that a little bit more when we talk about caleb in a second Um, for now every week i'll be joined on our journey into westworld by a man who knows a thing or two about analyzing telly jamie east is here to get us going he's taken his eagle eye to the brand new opening titles westward With each new season of Westworld, we get not only new characters, new worlds and more mind-bending, time-warping plots, but also a new title sequence. Always sticking to its signature style, each season the Westworld creators use the titles to give obsessive fans some cryptic clues to the themes and topics they're going to be exploring. The titles for season one were all about the building of the hosts, literally showing their muscles and joints being constructed to look like humans. Of course, we've managed to slip evolution's leash now, haven't we? One fine day, perhaps we shall even resurrect the dead. Call forth Lazarus from his cave. In season two, we saw the same host-building imagery, but they also introduced other themes, like Maeve's mother and child story and the man in black's falling hat. game's not worth playing if your opponent's programmed to lose. I wanted them to be free, free to fight back. But... The big sign that something drastic was on the cards in season two was the host bison smashing through the glass and tumbling downwards. I mean, come on, we should have known all along that the hosts were going to escape from the park, shouldn't we? So, analysing this new title sequence, what can we deduce? To me, it's all about what I think is going to be a big theme this series, the dawn of a new species. We're miles beyond a glitch here. Where seasons one and two were all about the hosts becoming sentient and as close to human as possible, I think now we're going to move away from that a bit. The hosts don't want to be a facsimile anymore. They want to become something new and individual. I'm in a dream. That's right, Dolores. You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Yes. Here's some evidence. Firstly, we see something that looks like an egg or spawn. We've certainly never seen that before, and if that's not a sign of new life, I don't know what is. Then, there are two bodies moving towards each other, as though humans and hosts are becoming more and more similar. But then instead of touching, the hand breaks through the surface of the water, blurring its image and emerging independently on the other side. No longer striving to be close to humans, this is absolutely all about the hosts becoming themselves. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? We also see an eagle flying towards what looks like the sun. 
Now this has got to be a reference to the Greek myth of Icarus. The humans are Icarus, or in this case the eagle, and their pursuit to create artificial intelligence has taken them too close to the sun where they're now going to be burned. Not literally, though with Dolores, who knows what's on the cards. You'll burn their world to the ground. In the second half of the sequence, the two bodies representing humans and hosts are moving apart and both the host body and the eagle are stripped back, revealing their true selves. They're literally finding themselves. It's not quite the gap year some humans take to find themselves, but, you know, each species to their own. It's a lot to take in, I admit, but I am super excited to see where this series is going to take us. So if you've got any other suggestions, then let us know over on the Westward Facebook fan page. Thank you, Jamie. And you can join our Facebook fan group now by going to Sky TV on Facebook and signing up in the groups tab. Westward. Okay, so it's time to meet our new lead character, construction worker, Caleb. Been a long time. Too long. Look, I can talk or I can just listen. Whatever you like. You keeping your head above water? Yeah. Running fiber, pays the bills, almost. How was it being back there, back home? Over here? I don't know. He said the way the army was run, algorithms, that's the way everything was going to be someday. Better living through technology. So, Alex, let's talk about Caleb and also this future world that we find ourselves in. Where exactly is he? Where are we? Well, in proper Blade Runner fashion, uh, we're in Los Angeles of the future, but unlike Blade Runner, the weather is very nice. The streets <laughs> are clean, uh, mainly, and if anyone's been to LA, you'll know this isn't the case. Not much traffic. So, uh, probably, um, the, the AI, the system, whatever it might do wrong later on, it's certainly running the structure of society quite well because LA in the future looks like an attractive place to live. I was going to say you're painting a very tempting picture. Um, <laughs> but let's dig into this dystopia a little further. Uh, Caleb's talking to his army friend and colleague Francis on the phone. He can kind of hear him in, inside his head there. Who is Francis? So based on flashbacks we see in this episode, uh, Francis and Caleb were in the army together. They were on an operation or more than one together. They seem to be some kind of highly skilled special forces troops because we see them on a mission, but in civilian clothes. Mm. Um, and I will say there's some great writing that's gone in to their conversations because even though I think we all worked out very, very quickly, Francis, he dayed, <laughs> we also... <laughs> get a real sense of intimacy about their friendship and how close they were. Yeah, it's very well played, that scene, isn't it? Because, because you know, you can tell that Caleb is kind of, uh, he's reacting to him as if he's a real person, but he you can see on his face that, he, you know, he knows he's gone. Yeah, and if you, if you first meet someone in flashback, you know, they're not around anymore. <laughs> Um, and what about this idea of him as a sponsor? He's obviously kind of taking on this role of counsellor, you know, almost like an AA kind of thing. Let's talk about your problems. Yeah, I mean, in the previous two seasons of Westworld, we've seen future tech mainly used for entertainment and pleasure. But this is a great piece of world building because we see AI being used as part of, a, I'm, I'm guessing, some kind of treatment program. Caleb's in some kind of therapy, possibly as a result of his friend's death. And as part of their treatment, they have the voice of the deceased guide you through the program. And at one point, when he's had about enough of this, Caleb goes, unsubscribe. And has, oh. has the word unsubscribe ever been used to such an emotional effect? I mean, you say exactly. unsubscribe, unsubscribe, but here you're like, 
Oh my gosh, he's unsubscribing from his friend's voice. <laughs> he can't unsubscribe voice. from Francis. <laughs> uh, but then they even find time for that little joke. He goes, unsubscribe, and there's a beat. And then Francis pops back and goes, yeah, you have to say confirm. And he goes, right, <laughs> confirm. I mean, it is. It's a deep cut as far as the future goes, isn't it, Alex? Yeah. So let's talk about how Caleb's making money. It's an app that he's using called Rico, the Make Money app. It's basically Task Rabbit for crime, Alex. So mm. Caleb's doing these side hustles, and it says the system picks the right people for the right job. Nothing too heavy, no personals. A to B's, some redistributive work. Sounds kind of like the shit we used to do over there. Over there, we didn't have to worry about the sheriff's department. You mentioned Grand Theft Auto right <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, you know, that really kind of comes into it here, the, those references. It's the gamification of crime, this app, isn't it? Yeah, it literally, and I do mean literally, is the mission select screen from Grand Theft Auto. Uh, it's a great app if you want to earn some extra cash in an outside-the-law-based employment scheme. <laughs> so based on your different skill, you can do different kinds of jobs. I did pause it to look up at some of these other kinds of jobs. Grand Theft Auto is one of the jobs, stealing cars. You can do babysitting, which I'm guessing is close personal protection. Uh, you can do wet work. I don't like the sound of that, no. Well, you wouldn't. I mean, it's assassination. But he says, uh, I don't do personal work, as in dealing with individuals, having to disappear individuals. But like all apps, Rico clearly has bugs because two of the three jobs he gets in this are personals. And he keeps having to go, look, I don't do personals. Mate, he needs to do the update. Just go into your <laughs> settings, Caleb. And do... Anyway, we also paused the episode so we could read some of the info. And yeah, we can see from Caleb's stats that actually, as Lena Thwaites' character says to him, you know, he's not doing so well, actually. He's not getting the points because he won't hurt people. So Caleb's name on this app is Nickel and Dimed. And we know from what Westworld's creators have told us online so far that Nichols is his surname. So that makes sense. Loves a pun. He's level 7, 3.2 stars, and has earned five crime coins. His colleagues, however, Ashes to Ashes, nice Bowie reference, level 24, 4.5 stars. I'm assuming that's Lena. I think you? so, yeah. yeah. And Giggles 24, which I think is the other guy, is at level 15, 4.3 stars. Kayla burns $1,200 for a mission accomplished and a good neighbour badge with zero casualties. Alex, he's a good guy deep down, isn't he? Yeah, it goes, look, he's a criminal, he's going to do bad things. This is an underworld network, yeah, yeah but yeah. it's not all bad. No, his plans are to just do the do the softest crimes. Well, I mean, I notice all the music references, obviously, so as soon as I saw those balaclava kids, I was thinking of Pussy Riot, and mm -hmm. it was great to hear uh, Nena's 99 Red Balloons oh. in this scene as well, which is, of course... Uh, an apocalypse classic of the 80s. So, yeah, yeah just, just kind of touching on, on all the dystopian themes uh, and the kind of state control themes there. So let's talk about that earpiece then. Yeah, I'm guessing this earpiece is, well, it's the natural evolution of the iPhone, an earpiece that does everything, so you're constantly not having to sanitise your hands after touching your iPhone screen. Uh, plus, you don't have to worry about how much screen time you've accumulated over the last week because the answer is always, <laughs> you are always plugged in but if you are worried about your iphone listening to you uh, probably don't get one of these earpieces you can be tracked and you can be hacked because if you've got an earpiece presumably there's gps but also you can have as uh, lena does you can have very heavy guitar music 
listen to me, guitar-based music <laughs> played into your ears. I think it was industrial rock <laughs> referencing hip-hop, Alex. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, not a, not a great device in this world. I mean, it's amazing how a few people have gone, do you know what, I think... I think being this reliant on technology is is going to come back and bite us People in the are going, arse. What is Trent Reznor doing 100 <laughs> years from now? I want to listen to that top volume the entire time. Now, here at Westward, we are lucky enough to have speed dial access to the creators of Westworld itself. Jamie caught up with them on the line direct from their LA production studio. Westward. Welcome, uh, Jonah and Lisa. How are you? Well, well, thank you. How are you? I'm buzzing. Congratulations on an amazing season three. Thank you so much. Can you give the fans a little glimpse into into what we've got in store across the whole of the season? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that it's glimpseable. You know, Lisa and I, from the beginning, we're excited to escape the park and see what the world looks like and see how it works. Yeah. And uh, very excited to share that with the audience. It's a big, bold. Uh, slightly scary world. What I really want to know is, who did you guys take out to lunch to find out what was going to be happening in 20 years' time? (laughs) (laughs) We had an awful lot of fun talking to people like Elon Musk, roboticists, bioethicists, neurologists, a whole host of people, and then using good old imagination to try to figure out uh, where things might go. Bjorke Ingels is a, a, a friend and a fan of the show. He's the Danish architect best known for reimagining spaces and, and reimagining realities and uh, and we've become friends and very graciously shared some of his designs that are actually featured in the show but when we talked to Bjorke about what the future would look like he had a lot of really really interesting input you know what does an urban space look like in 20 or 30 years because all the versions of the future you've seen before are very beautiful but they're all wrong in the sense that you know we're here now in the future imagined by seminal movies by Blade Runner. It doesn't look like Blade Runner. Blade Runner is one of the most beautiful films ever made. Yeah. That's not what Los Angeles, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles in 2020, and that's not what LA looks like. Dystopias don't have to look like dystopias. And so we wanted to build a grounded version of realism. Our best guess version of what the world really is going to look like in 30 years. And that is to say that the future is simultaneously quite exciting but also a bit disappointing some things have changed some things really have not uh, and when i look out my window here in la and i look at the buildings that you know are the same the things that have changed are actually quite subtle and the biggest change you see when you look out the window right now is everyone's looking at these tiny little four by two inch pieces of glass in their hand and i think a traveler from the 1980s will be mystified as to what everyone was staring at in this episode, we see the Death Star-shaped megamind that you call the system. And I want to know if you can explain to me a bit more about uh, what Rehoboam is. Uh, that's named after the first king of the kingdom of Judah. Can you explain that symbolism for me, please, Lisa? You are so good. Oh, my goodness. That's, hey, we, we, we've got it covered. <laughs> you should come to the writer's room over here. I will pay for my own ticket. <laughs> the, the short version is that Rehoboam had descendants, uh, or rather antecedents, uh, ancestors. Uh, But it's also homage to a brilliant book called uh, Stand on Zanzibar, which is a kind of a a classic of dystopian futurism in which there was a there was a giant AI named Shalmaneser uh, in the lobby of the General Technics building uh, that ran the world. So there's a there's a, a, a fair bit of homage there. And we should update in that concept 
visions from 40 or 50 years ago about where things would go and that that one's a fucking classic amazing um, so amazing. A, a little homage there oh i love it i love it thank you guys thank you so much Westward. And we'll have more from the creators of Westworld, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, in the coming weeks. But back now to this week's episode. Let's talk a bit more about Rehoboam. This is the system, and it can't be turned off. This is Rehoboam. My father sketched the whole thing out on a weekend. Took him 15 years to build it. After they optimized it for the last time, they lost track of how many thoughts it has per second. Thoughts? Not thoughts, exactly. Strategies. My dad thought the biggest problem in the world was unrealized potential. He thought that if you could chart a course for every single person, you could make the world a better place. Alex Rehoboam, what the heck? What is it? Uh, Bad news is what Rehoboam is. It's uh, a terrifying uh, sphere of death and Mm. darkness. And it looks like the Death Star. And then it even looks like the torture globe that floats around the Death Star torturing people. There's a lot of Death Star slash torture droid. I mean, look, it's got flashing red lights that circulate round its circumference. It... It looks like an evil kit from Knight Rider. Obviously, Old Testament scholars listening to this are going to be ahead of the game because they will already know, and we found out because we did a bit of digging, that Rehoboam is also the first king of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, So his story, one of rebellion, uh, Rehoboam is responsible for 17 years of civil war during his reign with a force of 18,000 soldiers against the new kingdom of Israel. It is not a story, Alex, of peace, collaboration and good times for all. No, and I think we should look at that name as a source of possibly what might be coming up. Because when you're looking for names for your AI in a series, you don't accidentally stumble across that. There's intention behind naming it that. Dolores calls it a pathfinder. So is this thing the host god, do we think? Well, I don't know how Dolores and the machine are going to interact. Rehoboam is clearly the centre of Insight's AI. It's their mega mind. It's the thing behind everything. Mm. As they talk about it, it's strategizing. So it decides on the careers of everyone in the world. It decides oh. how they're going to live. It's okay. the machine. So that's the control unit. Yeah, it's the machine you. that has dictated that uh, Caleb is going to be a, a cable layer and not succeed. And when he talks to the AI Sean on the phone after he's told he's not going to get that job, that's all been decided by Rehoboam. That's the machine that's creating the world. It basically controls society in this future. Interesting, interesting theory, Alex. So what does Dolores want to do to it? Does she want to take it over and use its powers or does she want to turn it off? Great question. Uh, She doesn't seem to like it because she basically goes, we're the gods. You think that's the god? Wait until you see what I can do. So I think she's either going to try and destroy it, causing society to break down, and that's going to start the civil war, either Mm -hmm. between people or hosts and people. Maybe she's hoping humanity wipes itself out when society breaks down Mm -hmm. and the hosts can step in, or she's going to infect it with her own AI and thus control society herself or she's going to team up with it, which seems unlikely at this stage. And, and Although she does everyone. have that bad side. She seems to be quite righteous so far this episode, but, you know, mm. there might still be a little bit of Wyatt in there. Yep. What oh, we do know steady. is that some, some brown stuff is going to hit the fan very, very shortly. Absolutely. All right, now moving on. In this episode, we also see Delos decide to go back into production and keep making hosts. 
brilliant quote. Robots don't kill people, people kill people. And the man who Charlotte Hale is scapegoating and blaming for the host uprising is Bernard Loeb. Trial number 342. Self-diagnostic. Prompt. Bernard Lowe. Has anyone other than yourself tampered with or altered your code in the last 24 hours? No. Bernard Lowe is the only person who has accessed my code. Bernard or Arnold or Armand Delgado, employee number 23343UG76, is in a, quote, prison of his own sins as a meatpacker somewhere in the Philippines. We've done the anagram, Alex. Mm. Ready to be impressed? I am. Okay, Armand Delgado is an anagram of Arnold Damaged. Bang! Boom! Put that Take in that. your pipe and smoke it. Brilliant! Put, have a bite on that synthetic meat burger. <laughs> I love the fact that it's an anagram. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of an anagram, and it's it's very on the nose, which is good, because if ever Westworld was accused previously of being a little too confusing here... They are putting it out there. We see Arnold Damaged slash Bernard performing trials. Trial number 342, so he's been at it a while apparently. He performs a self-diagnostic and enters analysis mode. So we're watching him here interrogating himself. So there are kind of two people within Bernard mm. right now. Who Who is who, Alex? Who is talking to who here, do you think? Best guess yeah. right now. One of them is Bernard, clearly because he talks to Bernard. Mm-hmm. But who is the person... Saying Bernard, right, right. the other person. I mean, I I don't know, but I think Arnold, and I think there's a whole process that they're going through where they're dealing with the fact they're both trapped in the same body. Their two consciousness are together, and if we follow the Arnold damage line of thinking, yeah, I think it could be Bernard trying to understand how damaged Arnold is, or vice versa, Arnold trying to work out how much he can trust Bernard and. It's sort of working out the parameters of this symbiotic relationship they've been forced into. Exactly. Well, and it's also kind of confluent with their relationship so far, isn't it? Mm. So, you know, as soon as uh, the nature of it was revealed, they've they've been trying to work out whether they can trust each other. So that's what Bernard is doing with this clicker bypass unit, this thing that he has in his hand, right? Switching his consciousness between Bernard Lowe and Armand Delgado or Arnold Damaged. But it does tell us as well that hosts can have multiple personalities at once. Of course, we've seen that with the the Dolores Wyatt storyline already and that they can be controlled, accessed and act independently of each other. Very, very interesting to see that it's not just Dolores who's capable of that, but but Bernard seems to be doing it too. Um, Now, when Bernard is attacked by his co-workers, he says something very bad is coming for you all. Something I don't know how to stop. What is that something, Alex? Dolores. It's definitely Dolores. There's a real information splurge at this point because he's being attacked by the guy and he goes, there's something bad coming for all of you. Also, that guy who goes, I know a man on the run when I see a man on the run and works out that he is not Armand, he is Bernard. And you're like, yeah, do you know what, Bernard? You do look like a man on the run. You're not hiding it very well. You've grown a suspiciously big beard. <laughs> and every time you go in and out of a door, you look suspiciously around you like, I hope no one's watching me not being a man on the run. I know. Also kind of reading sneaky news story <laughs> updates about a massacre on his kind of tablet and trying to keep it hidden. Arm around it all the entire time. Yeah. So at the end of the episode, Bernard goes back to Westworld to look for a friend. Who do we think that friend is? Well, I'm guessing it could be Maeve. And the reason I think it might be Maeve is because he clearly knows, as he's just said to those guys, 
I ain't going to be able to stop Dolores on my own. Maeve, on the other hand, if we team up, you can compensate for the massive amounts of slack I'm going to create in trying to save humanity. Maeve's staunch. She's going to take no prisoners. That's what I mean. I'd want Maeve alongside me. But what about Dr. Ford? I mean, you know, they kind of can't keep away from each other. Maybe he's going back to find the other bits of Dr. Ford's consciousness. If we if we going with this Arnold damage theory that that's who's who the other person inside Bernard is, maybe he's going to kind of try and, and recreate him. I mean, I'd love that. I, 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 I've got a big soft spot for Ford. I'm going. I'm going Maeve on this one. You're going Maeve, based, yeah. based on the evidence I've seen before. I'm rolling the dice, and it really is a roll of the dice with Maeve. All right, that's almost it for this week. Uh, just time to talk about that killer post-credit scene where we see Maeve in another world. Don't tell me you didn't watch beyond the credits. I mean, this is basic, guys. So, we see Maeve in a film noir-style scenario. She's been torturing a Nazi soldier and seems just as confused about that as us. Where is she, Alex? She is in World War World. <laughs> World War World. World War World. War War War. <laughs> yeah. World War World. And okay. it's WWW, the internet. AI infecting <gasps> the internet. What? You just blew my mind, Alex Zane. Yeah, world war world. I love it. Excited to explore it? I can't wait. Every new world is exciting. Shall we, just for giggles, um, recap the worlds that we have explored so far in Westworld? Okay, so part one, Westworld. Part two, Shogun World. Part three, World War World, Mm. the World Wide Web metaphor. (laughs) Parks four and five, unknown. We don't know. Yep. Okay, and part six... The Raj. Now, being a film guru, Alex, do you want to see the original 1973 film parks? They were medieval world and Roman world. Do you know, I spent two seasons hoping that Roman world was going to pop up. And then I realised that no one looks menacing in a toga. So, (laughs) no, I actually don't anymore. I'm done with ever seeing Roman world. You can't be a host and menace someone in a toga. I'm quite into it for the potential Python references. I feel like the the showrunners would would drop a few of those in for us. That's all we've got time for this week. Many thanks to my brilliant guest, Alex Zane. Thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Tell your friends about our pod and join us for more fan chat on our Facebook fan page. You go to Sky TV and you'll see us in the groups tab. Westward. We'll be back next week after Westworld. That's 9pm on Sky Atlantic when we'll be pulling apart episode two, The Winter Line. Can't wait. Westward is a production by Znack & Co and Coex Studios for Sky Atlantic. I'm Lauren Laverne. Freeze all motor functions. Rohoboam. Rohiboam. Rahuboham is not... Rahubo. <laughs> Rahiboham. Rahuboham. 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 I, I'm, I basically, that means that one of the times I've said it will be right. 